Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I know it's been a little while. I was on vacation and then I actually had surgery and I was uh, I'm fine now. Don't worry. It's nothing serious, but I was out for the count for a little while. But I am back. I'm back on the road. Um, I'm not in prison. I'm just in a really shitty motel in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. Uh, but we've got a good guest on the other end. We got Addy Ads on the show. How are you doing, Addy? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Miss, uh, Mr. Coverdale Reed. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm out in New York, actually, so that's a relief. Uh, I don't understand why people live there, but, uh, you know, I was just there doing work. You know, I was covering the Glenn Maxwell trials, you know, which we're going to talk about. Uh, so it's good to be a little further south, but um, I'm actually heading out again on Saturday. So uh, just a little bit of a rest here before I'm on the move again. Nice. So uh, what I'm assuming a lot of my viewers know who you are, but some of them probably don't. So uh, just give us a uh, just give us a rundown on who you are, what you what you do, what got you into all this activism, what you've been covering before the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Just who who sure. is Addie Ads? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Addie is from Wisconsin. Uh, originally, I lived there for most of my uh, youth. Uh, I moved to the island of Guam when I was actually like 17 because uh, one of my parents got a job there. I, I finished high school there, went back to Wisconsin for university, um, did quite a bit of traveling after graduation and kind of fell into this by accident uh, by way of creating a podcast uh, where I was just initially setting out to interview high performers and then authors. And then that kind of morphed into covering geopolitics because I, I saw there was a, a huge demand for it uh, especially in the wake of, of 2020 everybody's kind of locked down at home uh, on the internet all the time trying to figure out what's going on uh, so I jumped in uh, you know as much as I could just reaching out to people and trying to figure out what actually is going on because I was never really big into politics growing up I, I really was just occupied with sports mostly and I almost actively disengaged or tried not to pay attention to it. Um, especially when I was like in high school and in college, when I, I started reading it, you know, I'd like read the New York times every, every day for a, a very short period of time in high school. And then I stopped cause I, I figured it was a waste of time. Uh, and then uh, by the time I was a senior in college, it was Trump's, uh, you know, victory. And, and so I almost had to pay attention to it by then a bit, but it wasn't until like 2017, 2018, I started looking into the prison, uh, state uh, and the corruption that uh, really goes along with the prison state in the United Kingdom and the United States that I started to learn learn more about uh, the general state state corruption at the and you know at a political level that more Americans would be interested in uh, than just like learning about how corrupt our prisons are, for example. So uh, that's kind of how I fell into this stuff. I never you know thought I would be a journalist per se. I was. Well, not always, but like uh, it held them in contempt a bit, uh, especially recently because of, you know, the way our, our mainstream media is set up. Uh, I never thought it was like difficult because I always wanted to be the guy that was doing the thing, not the guy that was writing about it or, you know, so in that right. sense, I failed <laughs> miserably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you seem like you're pretty nonpartisan, like you're just kind of looking into state corruption which can you know attract people from both sides of the aisle and 
I mean, I'm a libertarian, but I try to focus on a lot of that stuff that kind of would bring everybody who cares about justice or, you know, who's angry about war crimes or stuff like that. Is that pretty accurate that that is what you kind of do? You, you try to stay away from the right left paradigm and try to just dig into this stuff for anyone who's interested. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, definitely. At this point in time, I, I do say that, you know, I, I've said a couple of times before, I haven't really talked about it at length, but I do find the libertarian uh, philosophy very appealing to me, uh, kind of, I don't know, it seems as close to live and let live as I've as I've seen. So uh, I definitely want to look into it deeper. But uh, I can't say that I've read too deep uh, on it yet. I know I interviewed uh, Jason, I think it was Jason Bassler about it. And he gave me a bunch of good books to, to look into, but I, I still haven't done that. So that's 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 on me. So I got I got to do that this year in 2022. I'm going to read some more. Uh, and, you know, just get back to reading more because, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to balance it with the traveling, but I am getting better at it. And, um, yeah, I would say that's pretty true. I mean, I think I'm still a registered Democrat, to be honest. Uh, and I really, like I said, I wasn't paying attention. I'll come, I'll come clean. Uh, I did vote for, this is how far gone I was. I voted for, for Clinton, uh, in 2016 it was, yeah. uh, you know, that's how far gone I was. I was like, I mean, it, it was also like, I think my age too, is just trying to figure stuff out and not that I'm not, not still doing that, but. I was just uh, much less incentivized to pay attention to this. And I, you know, another thing too, I think that's worthy to note is the University of Wisconsin is very liberal, uh, uh, very liberal campus. Uh, I've heard it, <laughs> this one journalist uh, told me uh, they described it as a red square, uh, you know, akin to the Soviet Union's red square because it, the, the capital building is actually in a square you walk up it, it's pretty much at the at the peak of the isthmus um between the lakes there uh going up so it's it's literally a square so i, I thought that was kind of funny but yeah very liberal and i think that definitely had a a huge effect not just geographically but i think almost regardless of where you are on universities in the united states there's a there's a liberal bias i would say for sure so yeah so when it comes to the Epstein-Maxwell case, were you on top of this like before Epstein got arrested or after he got arrested or like very recently? When did you start following this and when did you realize like how bad it was? Because for me, like I, I was, you know, I remember in 2019 when it first, you know, when he got arrested and then he killed himself or whatever and. I wasn't really paying attention to it. I didn't really start paying attention to it until 2020. And then this year I've gotten way into it. So what was your timeline with finding this case and uh, getting interested in it? Sure. Yeah. It's a good question. I think uh, it's for me was, it must've been early 2019 or late 2018, somewhere in there, but it was before he got arrested. I, I, I wasn't watching like paying attention to it that closely, but I definitely was paying attention to it. Uh, just because I would watch almost all of Sean Atwood's videos at, during that time period, like mm -hmm. uh, like religiously, you know, that's I would go home from this sh really crappy customer service job and just, and, you know, I'd kind of binge watch uh, Sean Atwood videos for a bit. So he was covering it. And then he, I remember he predicted his death. He, he said uh, he, he asked a question. I think he was like, is, is Bill Clinton going to uh, is uh, suicide? Uh, I think he might have said Arkansas, actually. Uh, Epstein in jail like a week before it happened and then it happened and his his channel just went through the roof I think uh and 
uh, fortunately he didn't have too much, too many problems with censorship until later, but, uh, yeah, so it was probably early 2019, maybe. I, I couldn't really tell you. It was around that time, or you know, late 2018, maybe. But again, it was very loose. It wasn't. It wasn't like I was thinking about it even on a weekly basis. It was like if it would show up in a video, I would watch it. But uh, yeah, I started to realize, um, especially towards the end of 2019, I, I got into it deeper, and it was um, a process. I think coming to terms with this information and understanding that it is true. Uh, you know, it, it was like, like almost a, a denial uh, at first, uh, like a, a grieving process of sorts, uh, where it's like, man, our government's really, really doing this. Uh, and in that sense, it took a few weeks. But then after that, it was like, man, I just want to learn, learn more about it. And uh I don't know. I, I, I remember I actually I hadn't thought about this probably since then, but I had this thought came to me. I was like, man, someone has to stop these people, you know, cause nobody's, nobody's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you amazed like how little everyone knows? Cause I, I didn't know much, you know, before 2019, I, I didn't know anything. I don't think before 2019. And then, you know, last year is when I really started digging into it. And 2020, I first started like kind of, you know, poking at the surface, but then 2021, I actually got into it and I was like, holy shit, this is so bad. This is so disgusting. This is so intertwined and there's so much state backed funding going on here and everything. And no one knows anything about it. Like the only people who seem to know a little bit are the Trump supporters. And, you know, it's just because Bill Clinton went to Epstein's Island. That's the only reason they care. They don't realize that you know, Donald Trump was also involved and they don't know anything about the Wexner Foundation or the, uh, you know, the mega group or, you know, Prince Andrew. I mean, no one, no one knew like any of, you know, how far spread this was and how deep it went. Have you been kind of shocked, like how little everyone knows and a little or I, have you been shocked? Like, wow, how did I not know this? And then, whoa, how does no one still know about this? Yeah, yeah. In a sense, it, it, it's been hard, though, because it, it seems like uh, a lot of people didn't hear about it until he got arrested for the second time, you know, which is understandable. It's it's uh, right. you know, this isn't knowledge or information that they're advertising. They're actually actively doing the opposite of that. They're trying to su suppress it. So uh, in that sense, it's um, I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've had a few conversations, I think, with it was like once in a few nights in, in 2020 where I was talking to, to people close to me and I was being very animated about expressing the, you know, just my desire to talk about this issue a, a, a bit. Um, I'm not sure how well it was received, but just the idea of this sort of blackmail of, uh, you know, children and, uh, and sex crimes and how uh, compromising it is and how there's not really a time limit on that or, you know, uh, any point in time where uh, that power is going to expire. So, uh, you know, it, it would, you know, it's, it's something that uh, it's hard to, to say, cause you know, it's almost like trying to remove yourself from a, an aquarium. Uh, once you've gotten so deep into this, it's hard to, you know, I think there's a cognitive bias. It's called the curse of knowledge bias, basically where humans have a hard time remembering what it was like to not know something. I um, mean, it makes it hard to, to empathize the people who don't have the knowledge and harder to teach it in a way. Yeah. All right. So you went to the trial. Um, what was like, how did that work? There, there were a few different rooms you could sit in and watch a TV screen basically. Right. Is that how it worked or? Yeah, it was the first floor, the uh, fifth floor, 
And then I think they would go to the ninth floor. I had never been on the seventh floor. The first day I was on the ninth floor. I think every other day except uh, two, I was on the fifth floor. Uh, the rest were I was on the, the first floor, I think, two or three days. Um, and, you know, there were somewhat different rooms, but the basic layout was the same. There was a, you know, a, a judge's desk and then a, a section for the jury, which was usually the best spot to watch it because the, the chairs were uh, much more comfortable than the pews, uh, which was for, kind of for the general public. Uh, but there was a, a projector, pretty large, probably at least 50 inches, um, and then uh, a TV next to it on the left, a HD TV. And then perpendicular to that, facing the, the jury box, was another TV. And then behind that, in sort of uh, that square area there, uh, in front of the judge's uh, a desk or the back, the back wall of the courtroom, the overflow courtrooms, was the speakers. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, yeah, that's kind of how it went for every floor except the third floor, which had the actual courtroom itself, which I, I only ever got to really peek into. Uh, I was disallowed from going uh, on a few occasions. Well, one of them, I had been gifted a spot in line by this person. And so I had the rightful spot in line to be in the physical courtroom that Maxwell was in. But they basically told me I couldn't go because I wasn't official press, uh, quote unquote. Um, so, and actually the lady, I don't think I've said this before, who broke the jury gate story, her name is Lucia Osborne Crowley. She was behind me in line. And because they did that, she got to go in the courtroom instead of me. So I was very <laughs> sore about that. And then another day, I was not even allowed into the building itself, let alone the, the third floor uh, uh, room. Uh, and that was actually me re-entering the building after I, I had done an interview. I think it was on the rundown live. So I had to leave the courthouse. I went there right, you know, pretty early in the morning. And then I left like mid midday. It was like around noon. And then I tried to come back around three or four and they, they wouldn't let me. So, uh, but you know, it, it wasn't just the, the independent media that was upset with the way this uh, courtroom administration and, and experience went. Not to say they even discussed the way we experienced it, but I was just, you know, I try to pay attention to everybody and, and, and see what's going on. And they complained about it. I guess uh, Julie K. Brown had a very bad experience with the court administrator, or the, the head uh, lead administrator, when she approached him and asked him a question. He immediately called court security or marshals uh, and almost had her thrown out, I guess, just for asking a question. Is uh, This is according to her. And she called it, I think, the least professional experience in court uh, of her uh, career. And uh, that's not to say wh whether, you know, the independent media had anything to do with that. But uh, I think safe to say that most of the press were, if not all of the press, were very dissatisfied with how uh, they were treated uh, by the court. So... What type of people did you see there, like other than news people? Were there a lot of random people who were just there to see what was going on? Because this was, if there was room, some of it was open to just the general public, whoever wanted to go there, right? Yeah, yeah. Anybody could walk in. Uh, you didn't need to be press. Uh, they just did that to us because they were, I think, being bullies, to be honest. Uh, like they had seen our faces before, uh, most if not all of them, I think. 
Um, and it was also, it was almost like there was like a studio 54 vibe to it. You know, if you weren't on the list, then you weren't going to get on, you know, uh, no matter what, right. you know, you could show up at, you know, one thirty AM, you know, and they wouldn't matter. But yeah, to, to answer your question, there was definitely passerby that, uh, would ask, Hey, what's going on? And I think almost all of them recognized the name. I don't know if there was anyone that I saw that. Uh, was like, oh, I don't know who that is. You know, they're all, but they all, uh, I think a lot of them would ask like, hey, what's what's going on? Because they would see the hubbub around the courthouse. On the first day, there was people in a tent. They were like smoking weed in a tent, like literally right in front of the steps of the courthouse. I probably should have gotten video of that. But I think we were uh, about to enter. I can't remember exactly what was going on there. It was pretty hectic on the first day. Lots of people there. There was a line like down the block. Definitely the most uh, media, I would say, were on the first day. Uh, and then there was a lull there right before the, the prosecution said they were going to uh, resume or, or end their their um, their arguments at, at the end of the second week there, which was the Friday. Then a bunch of people started showing up. But on that Tuesday, someone I know showed up at 7.30 a.m. And, and was able to get in. Uh, independent media, too. Uh, so that's how much like everyone was like, I don't know if they were sleepwalking or what they, you know, everyone thought it was going to go six weeks automatically. And then all of a sudden on day eight, it was the prosecution says they're going to rest. So that was definitely uh, a surprise, but there was a couple protesters who showed up more than once, uh, which uh, I think I posted most of them on my Twitter and other socials, uh, uh, mostly, you know, Twitter and Facebook and I've been posting on my Instagram more just cause I don't know. I was just like F him, man. I, I have like nobody following me and I was, I always thought you were only supposed to post like once a day, but I've just been, I've been posting like two times and three times a day now. So it's been working out, I think, but, um, yeah, there was, uh, this lady that would protest, uh, a few times. She had a problem with, I think it was in the, it might've been the Eastern district in New York, but something to do with a local dermatologist. And she like brought the file or like the, uh, the case there, like the, the front sheet of like, you know, plaintiff first defendant. Uh, so she was protesting that. And, uh, as far as other people, Oh, the one morning I got there at like, uh, was, it was like four 30 or four 45 AM. There was, uh, and this lady actually wrote a story about it. Uh, not just meeting me, but these other people, they were from California. I think they had, we're on vacation and one of the, there was like two couples and one of the ladies was like, I want to go see the Maxwell trial. So they traveled to New York and, and showed up. And that was the same morning that I happened to, I just woke up at like three 50 and I was like, why awake? I was like, I might as well just go. I'm not going to get any more, <laughs> any more uh, awake than I am now. Right. So I just went, I went there and I was like, man, I was surprised because there was already about a dozen people there. I was like, man, I got here this early and I'm probably still not going to get in. But uh, her name is Amanda Derrich, I believe, D-A-R-R-A-C-H. Uh, she writes for the Columbia, I think it's called the Journalism Review. So she like writes about other writers and reporters instead of having a topic or a story. So it's kind of interesting in that sense. Uh, but so she wrote a bit about the the morning there. If people want to read it, uh, I'll, I'll tweet it out. I shared it on a podcast a few days ago, but I don't think I've tweeted it out yet. Uh, but th that was interesting meeting the citizens that, that came from California because they were just, um, I, I, I don't know, maybe there was something deeper there. They weren't just citizens, but I never rule anything out. They seemed pretty innocent enough to me, though. So, mm -hmm. 
So what really stuck out to you about the prosecution? The biggest thing I heard was uh, Annie Farmer's uh, testimony. But were there any other really big moments throughout that time that really stick out? Yeah. Uh, you, you mean uh, the, the performance of the prosecution or, or the witness testimonies or, or, or both? Both. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I would say for the, the prosecution's high moments were uh, Comey had one maybe two i didn't see the carolines uh, witness carolines uh, uh, redirect so they have the examination cross-examination and then redirect and joe nearman who's a new york litigator good logic on youtube uh he described his art and I, I left i'm not gonna lie i was like falling asleep uh but at the same time i think i had an interview or something i can't remember exactly what's going on that day i think it was a wednesday but nonetheless i didn't see her redirect uh, but I saw. I thought Laura Pomerantz had a very good moment against the supposed star witness for Ghislaine Maxwell's team, which was this uh, academic Elizabeth Loftus, who's never actually uh, had patients before. Uh, the the false memories syndrome, uh, a studies lady, you know, the science of false memories, kind of her expertise, uh, or how memories may be formulated falsely. Uh, or, or damaged in some way. Uh, so they went over all these concepts uh, and they even brought out a chalkboard where there was like three, it was like three rectangles connected by two lines and she had to like draw it out. I don't know why she couldn't just describe it, but maybe to make it seem more complicated or something. But in that sense, I thought Pomerantz did a good job of dismantling her. She brought up Harvey Weinstein, for example, which is kind of uh, maybe a shot below the belt, legally uh, speaking. Judge Nathan called a sidebar immediately. And after that, none of her past work was brought up, for example, with uh, Ted Bundy. <laughs> Ted, Ted Bundy, uh, uh, a whole a plethora of... of, of uh, the Legion of Doom, I think Sam Tripoli called it. It was like the, the police officers that beat up Rodney King, uh, Ted Bundy, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, what was it? The Robert Durst, uh, I want to say as well, who who just died, I think, yesterday, actually. Or maybe it was today. Oh, did he really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, she was there, I think, for only one of the murder trials. But uh, she has a book called Witness for the Defense. Uh, so I thought Pomerantz did a great job bringing that up. How she, she doesn't have a book, for example, entitled uh, Impartial Witness. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cheeky. Uh, but as far as uh, the witnesses, you know, I thought Annie Farmer was one of the more credible witnesses, certainly. Uh, but not the most legally damning. Uh, uh, definitely mm -hmm. not. Um, I think she's probably the smartest, uh, you know, the, the most uh, composed probably uh, as well. Uh, but as far as like legally damning, damning, I, w I wouldn't say so. It was, you know, it, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to, well, may maybe not. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but it, it's really what comes down to is what the jury thinks. Are they swayed? What are they swayed by? You know, is it the, do they really break it down legally or is it more so persuasion and uh, emotion and oratory, you know? So that's, it's like a balance there where, uh, you know, like Caroline, I thought was more, uh, sympathetic and uh, more likely to evoke an emotional response from people, certainly than Annie Farmer, um, and, and and definitely more so than than Jane. At least in my in my eyes. I mean, I, I wasn't. She she cried, but maybe she didn't cry. I don't know. Myself and and at least one other person were like, I'm not sure if she's actually crying. That was the actress who. Uh, 
I'll just say her name. Her name is Nadia Bjorlin. She's in Days of Our Lives. The trial's over now, so I'm going to say it. I mean, we got jurors coming out causing jury gate. Uh, yeah, you, right. know, <laughs> you know, so I'm going to say Nadia Bjorlin's name. But uh, yeah, Scotty David, he came out and disclosed sexual abuse. And I, uh, there's two other outlets. I think it was ABC and maybe there's the New York Times. They said there was two other jurors that did the same. I think that might be fake news. I, I'm not really sure. I mean, we've seen the video of Scotty David like being interviewed, but uh, you know, the, it seems like they were just like dogpiling on, on that that whole idea to try to force a mistrial. I think the mainstream media wants that on behalf of their masters. You know? Yeah, yeah. So um, everyone I was talking to, or most everyone I was talking to before the verdict, they were not optimistic they were like thinking she wasn't gonna get uh charged or she wasn't gonna get convicted of much some people were even saying she might walk is that what a lot of people were thinking who were watching the trial too was it really shocking when she got convicted on five out of six charges or was it kind of like yeah obviously or what what was the feeling coming away from that yeah yeah i was surprised a, a bit i would say it was i don't know it was so weird i was like I was so nervous uh, right when I figured out what was going on. <laughs> it was, I, I got there really late because I, I just switched lodging that morning. Uh, and then I, I was kind of taking my time a bit. But I also had to interview somebody at like one or so. And I had to feed the cat. I had to get the next pet sitter squared away. So I didn't leave the house until like three or something. And then I, I went to Cooper Union. I did a, a short video about the Epstein Brothers history at Cooper Union. I got to the, the courthouse. And uh, I did a video and then all of a sudden all the, the photographers and videographers are like coming around the, the side uh, where the lawyers and the siblings enter on Pearl Street. And I was like, what's the scoop to this one guy? And he, he didn't respond. I was like, come on, man. I thought I thought we I thought we had some sort of rapport here, working rapport, but I guess not. Uh, mm -hmm. But luckily, Joe Nearman showed up like 10 seconds later. And he was like super, I could, his energy was so up. And I was like, yo, what's going on? Like, uh, and he's like, yo, the inner city press just tweeted two minutes ago, the verdict, the, they have a verdict. So I went, you know, through the courthouse and I was like, so jacked. I was like, all like nervous going through security. The first floor was full, but I tried very quickly. I probably should have just went to the fifth floor. I went to the fifth floor. There was only like four people, maybe five people in there. Uh, and all but one of them had a cell phone. So they had some sort of special privilege to have a cell phone in the courthouse, whether it was they were working for the court administratively or they were, I think, directly connected to the case as well. I'm not 100% sure about why why they, they got a cell phone. I tried talking to them, the people who had the cell phones, and they didn't want to talk at all. Maybe they're spooks. I don't know. But they didn't want to talk to me. Uh, and the other, the other person was actually the lady from the Inquirer who actually uh, featured me in a story this week, she told me. <laughs> Funnily enough, uh, I'm not sure if that was today or not, but she said it was sometime this week in print, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, so just two reporters in there, uh, and you know, Judge Nathan is reading off the verdict as I walk in, double-checking with the jurors, uh, you know, is this your verdict, uh, guilty, et cetera, et cetera. The enticement charge was the only one not to stick, which I was – I was surprised at, you know, this is, I'm an amateur and this is my first uh, trial, but I thought that one would for sure stick if any of them, but it was, the, it was the least likely, but I, mm. I've, I've been told 
by more than one person that it, it's so hard to guess what you know how or why the jury are thinking the way they're thinking so in that sense uh you know i was wrong but it was actually uh i think a good thing because the the conspiracy um and then the transporting uh, charges uh they, they those stuck which i think is much more important that those did uh so uh, yeah, it was, you know, and then I, I exited the building shortly after, uh, her name was Jackie from the, the Inquirer, uh, did, uh, I immediately went up to the screen. I wanted to see Maxwell's, uh, reaction. It was very stoic. Uh, and somebody else agreed with me too. It almost seemed like she was expecting it. Maybe she's just, you know, very good at lying to herself. I think she's a, a clinical narcissist. Uh, and, and, you know, they're very good at lying to themselves about, many things, but including how they feel, I would say. So it, it's, it's tough to say what exactly she was feeling, but she, she throughout the trial portrayed a lot of uh, confidence, borderline air, arrogance. Uh, and even according to a couple women I, uh, who, who spoke to me, they thought of their, she was being almost like seductive in a way at certain points, more so earlier in, in the trial than, than the, in the latter parts. But yeah, then I, I really, uh, posted the video on, on Twitter when I walked down the courthouse and, but yeah, to, to answer your question more succinctly, it was a surprise for me for sure. I was right in the sense that it was a mixed verdict. Uh, that was my, my prediction, but I was guessing more like three or four. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't guessing five, but, uh, if, if things were the way they should be, she would have been charged with what 20 or 30 more counts of something. Right, <laughs> but thrown at her, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Uh, so, uh, in that sense, it was like a bittersweet uh victory, maybe, but we'll see. It's still up in the air now with this jury, so this jury gate, yeah. So, do you know anything about this Scotty David guy? I know he's connected to Carlisle somehow, and I know that's causing a stir. Some people are like, Oh, this was the, the plan all along, or whatever. But, do you know anything beyond the surface about him, or? I know he has a a an apartment in it's like Midtown Manhattan. Uh, I know where he lives. Uh, <laughs> I know he deleted his social media uh, very recently. Most of his social media. The rumor is that someone messaged Lucia Crowley uh, and sent her the Instagram profile of Scotty David, and that's how they got in touch. I don't know if that's true or if that's just hearsay you know, smoke and mirrors. Uh, that's, that's the rumor that's going around. I don't have that verified, but we don't, that's what I want to know is how they got in touch. You know, was it through Vicky Ward? That was something I, I speculated, yeah. uh, but he's a, I want to say it was the daily mail. Uh, they did an interview with him, but it was, it was definitely the independent that first broke it. Uh, but he did do a video interview. He's, what is he mid thirties, 35, 36. I can't remember exactly a white male. Uh, he worked at the Carlisle group. Uh, and surprisingly too, they, I guess he got permission to do the interview from the Carlisle group, which, uh, is, is a bit bizarre considering, uh, you, you know, juries, they, they have anonymity, uh, unless they don't want to. So I, I don't know why, why they would be notified of that uh, ahead of time, but, um, you know, you know, many people are, are speculating, I think, uh, about that connection. Uh, Frank Carlucci, ex-deputy CIA director, was the chairman of the Carlisle Group, for example, for over a, uh, a decade. Uh, and, 
you know, there's, I'm not a, I'm not a Carlisle group expert, but I, there's many more connections than, than just that, that, um, that run deep in the, the international uh, web, not just uh, here in the States. Yeah. So why legally does that change anything that he was a victim of sexual abuse when he didn't say it before? So I, I was reading a little bit about it and I guess the questionnaire wasn't a hundred percent clear or something is what he was saying. And then, but, but why does this actually change anything? Why in legal structure does this maybe call for a retrial? Yeah. yeah that actually brings up the most recent update legally, uh, as far as I know uh, about this case. And that's that uh, well, backing up a little bit. He had some public counsel, which I guess he asked for, I guess he wasn't appointed it, which that was our understanding initially. Uh, but then he discarded that and got his own private counsel instead. Uh, so he lawyered up, uh, basically. Uh, but more recently, I think it was yesterday, he requested the, the questionnaire. Uh, so uh, the, excuse me, the lawyers had until today, so the deadline has passed for that, to propose redactions uh, for the, the questionnaire. So anything they want redacted. They have until next week today, so Wednesday of next week, or is today Thursday, Thursday next week, to uh, respond to uh, Scotty David and his uh, his lawyer uh, as far as you know what exactly they asked on that questionnaire. Uh, but the reason for it is because in the eyes of the defense, someone who is a victim of sexual abuse or has a history of being abused sexually, especially as a child in this case, is more likely to be biased against the defendant, right? So you don't you want as impartial a juror uh, as possible. So they provide these questionnaires, which I understand are individual to each case. They change them from case to case. I'm sure there's some questions they ask uh, every juror, but uh, depending on the crime, the defendant, uh, you know, they're they're going to look at the demographics of the jury as well. Uh, are you rich? Are you poor? Are you man? Are you woman? you gay, you straight, because uh, all these things, they do influence, whether we want to admit it or not, they influence the way we view the world and what our biases are. So in that sense, they want a very balanced uh, view uh, and outlooks and demographics uh, in the jury uh, to give the fairest chance possible to the defendant, which I think is a good thing, actually, about, about the United States. So isn't the uh, the prosecution saying they'll drop the perjury charges if there is not a retrial? I've seen some stuff out there about that. Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, Ghislaine is already, uh, you know, she's already won something, right? Right. Uh, because if she doesn't get a new trial, which is what she wants, let's be clear. Sure. Uh, she is going to at least get the perjury charges dropped. But in effect, it really doesn't change much. She's still possibly could be away locked away for life even if she doesn't get, you know even if nobody gives a, a um you know a, any care in the world about those perjury charges legally or otherwise uh so in that sense it's a win but uh it's a win for us too i would say because she uh i said this earlier tonight uh she does seem to be picking her battles uh, i guess there's eight names uh involved with a certain lawsuit i think it was Jufres against maxwell that Maxwell now is saying, I don't care if you redact them or not, basically. I'm leaving them in the hands of the court. So in that sense, 
perhaps we'll get some new names, uh, some new big names, you know, possibly, or we might just get more corroboration for some names we've already heard. So uh, in that sense, it, it seems like she's picking her battles. You know, she's like taking the small victory and being like, okay, I don't care about that. But uh, you know, why would that be? Did, does she feel like it's going to help her case for getting a miss, a, a, excuse me, a new trial, you know, not formally, but maybe just as a, a token of good will towards the court. I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to say. Yeah. So I saw on Twitter, there was this big buzz about how the case was being sealed and it wasn't going to be revisited. And I saw Ryan Dawson saying, that's not true. She can still testify. Nothing is over. Do you know anything about that? Where did that rumor start? And, you know, is it complete bullshit? Could this always be revisited? It might've been Jack Posobiec. I don't know for all I know. Uh, yeah, I heard about that. I actually, it seemed to me, this is my subjective experience that that rumor like rose and then was quashed before I even realized it, uh, okay. which sometimes happens, but, uh, yeah, I did hear about that. I think it was actually after the fact, somebody said that and I was like, what? I didn't know that. And they're like, no, no, that's that, you know, it's, it's, as it sounds, it's fake news. So I'm not right. sure where that came from. I, I know somebody said Pasovic spread some rumor towards the end of the trial. I don't know if it was that one, but he definitely spread a couple fake news things, but he wasn't the only one. There's this guy, Adam Baldwin, who said something about the court not allowing press. And Tim Kennedy actually shared that, which is kind of weird. The MMA guy, the, the special ops guy, he shared that. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, I think it was a, quite a bit of misinfo. Maybe it was disinfo. I don't know. It's tough to measure people's intentions, but oh uh, yeah, surrounding this trial for sure. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you have that with, I mean, with everything like the uh, Project uh, Veritas thing that just came out about COVID, and then it didn't come out. Like we're still waiting to hear about it. Like you just have a lot of people who you know they want something to be a certain way, so they'll just start spreading news that it is that way before it actually has been confirmed. That it is that way. It's just kind of what you run into with this type of stuff, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, yeah. I think sometimes, and I think sometimes too, like uh, like guys like Pasovic, they just like like they see a parade or something, or like a group of people, and like they just go and like I'm speaking metaphor here. They just grab the the mic or the megaphone from whoever's speaking, and they just like take <laughs> take over the group and start yelling, "Follow me on Twitter," you know, or whatever. Uh, instead of going actually deep into something uh which uh, you know and it does seem too like uh, some of those twitter guys which i i don't have to name them all you know uh but it's it's just a, a type of behavior on twitter let's say that I've, I've, I've noticed where people just try to provoke uh just to get views you know it's like they kind of pretend to be conservative but really they're just trying to troll everyone you know yeah yeah, yeah for sure so uh, do you come away from this trial positively as far as, you know, people starting to pay attention to this more? I feel like this did get a lot of mainstream attention after the fact. Like, I felt like during the trial, almost no one knew it was going on. But once she got convicted, a lot of people were like, whoa, this is crazy. And um, I'm hoping that it kind of pushes them in the direction of trying to uncover more about what was going on because you know some people thought like oh this is justice it's done it's over maxwell and epstein are gone none of this is happening anymore <laughs> you know which is obviously not the case but do you think that do you think that there's hope that people 
are going to start looking into this more? Did this bring enough light to the situation that normies were like, whoa, what's going on here? Or do you think it's kind of just the same as it's always been? Yeah, it, you know, if I had to guess, it seems like people are more aware of this than ever. It's again, it's it's tough for me to say because I'm I'm I think partially because I'm I'm younger and uh, also because I'm so deep into this. Like I said, it's hard to kind of take myself out of it objectively and and uh, think about what other people are thinking. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I hope I've had you know, uh, an influence positively on, you know, peers I've had or people I've known in the past just by maybe stuff they, they might have seen of what I've posted on the internet. Uh, but at the same time, I've also lost a lot of uh, acquaintances who used to follow me on, on social media and such because of the stuff that I've posted uh, over the past, you know, year and a half or two years. So, uh, you know, it's uh, that, that's fine, though. I, I think as long as you're speaking your truth and speaking when you, you, you think is true and being open-minded and humble, willing to admit when you're wrong, which I think is, is quite rare, actually. Uh, most people don't want to, especially with, you know, the uh, the type of world we live in today where it seems like everything's recorded, you know, it's, it's harder to admit like, okay, yeah, you have a video of me saying something stupid or I said something I, I no longer agree with what I said then. Um, I think that's, that can be difficult for people sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, humility... And especially being willing to say, I don't know, or I, I'm not well informed on this subject or whatever, instead of like pretending that you're an expert on something and then yes. you know, trying to use yeah. it to draw attention. And then you get to a place where like, holy shit, I actually don't know like anything <laughs> about this, you know, right. like that's always yeah. dangerous. Yeah. It's pretty rare to find someone who says, uh, I, I think that says, I, I just don't know. You know, it's, it's kind of obnoxious to be honest. It really annoys me when people uh conversationally it's like a pet peeve let's say you know where it's like man just say i can tell you don't know but you're not saying you don't know yeah. you're trying to tell me something else you know and you i think you can tell when people are doing that yeah so uh we'll get into prince andrew in a minute but are there any other names that have become more mainstream that were involved with this you mentioned harvey weinstein but is there anyone else who has kind of come to the surface that people are more aware of now do you think I think the new name in the trial, at least to my knowledge, is Fidel Castro. That was, I think, a surprise to everyone. The fact that Epstein knew Fidel Castro and he had a picture with Fidel Castro in his, his uh, uh, 71st Street apartment there, 971st Street, uh, right by Central Park, actually. Uh, so uh, that one was new. Uh, but, you know, others mentioned in the trial itself were, one, I think, ones we've heard before is, is you know, Spacey, Trump, uh, Clinton. Uh, I think, I don't even know if Andrew was officially named, but it was like a, a, an unnamed member of the Royal family. It's, and it was like, everybody mm -hmm. knew who that was. Right. Uh, right. so in the, the sense of the names coming out of the trial itself, uh, that was, I think the biggest surprise, at least for me, if not most people was, was Castro, uh, outside of it. One that I found surprising was, uh, Stephen Dunbar Johnson, who's uh, still the current, president of the new york times uh he was in epstein's black book might give him a visit uh next time i, I return to uh, new york uh and then there's <laughs> this other guy he's from norway which uh, i had only ever seen written i hadn't seen anybody uh, i came across it in my own research but i hadn't seen anybody speak about it um 
uh, not anybody. Uh, as far as I know, I might have missed a video or, or two uh, where somebody mentioned it. Uh, but there's this Norwegian guy. His name is Terry Rod Larson. He received a personal loan from Jeffrey Epstein uh, to the amount of $130,000. And uh, he's coming under fire to a certain degree because of that. And I guess I'm not really sure how UN positions work, but I guess they have monthly rotations sometimes. Um, and like the head of security or, or something, security relations for the UN, something like that. Uh, her name is Mona Yule. Uh, and she's from Norway's, uh, she, she's filling that position for Norway right now. And she's the wife of Terry Rod Larson. And that's for this month. It's pretty bizarre. Uh, that that it goes um, it goes like that. So, uh, but until I saw Matthew Lee, Matthew Russell Lee of Inner City Press, who I think has done fantastic job uh, covering Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, he mentioned it, and I was like, oh man, I I had only ever read that before. I hadn't heard anybody report on that, so I thought that was that was pretty cool. So that was another name that uh, I think is much less well known uh, than than a lot of Epstein's contacts. Yeah. So I was reading just today about Prince Andrew. And a judge approved a uh, a lawsuit to go ahead against him for, uh, you know, being involved with Epstein from uh, Virginia uh, Defray. And he's losing his royal privileges, his royal titles. So he might be going down. What do you think? Are you optimistic about him ending up indicted and in the slammer? What do you think? Yeah, I did, I did see that. Yeah, and I uh, included my my podcast too uh, today. Some people are happy about it. I, I saw one opinion that was pretty interesting. They expressed that they wish he kept his titles because the only reason they're revoking them is because it brings uh, disgrace or a, a bad name to the right. family. So they, they remove that connection, then they remove the stain to a certain degree. So... Uh, in that sense, uh, I don't know. It goes to a deeper issue, I think. Um, but I can't really say I, I know what the mood is like in the United Kingdom, you know, with regards to who are royalists or, or monarchists or who are not. Uh, there might be surveys out there on that. I don't understand it personally. Um, I have a hard time communicating with royalists. I'll be, I'll be honest about that. I just don't understand it. You know, it's, uh, it's almost accepting your inferiority to another uh, in in a really uh, crude way, you know. So uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe people still support the royal family in Britain. I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I saw some videos of you confronting people when they were coming in and out of the courthouse. The the Maxwell siblings. I saw you talking to one of them. What was what was that like? Was that kind of was your heart pounding a million times per second or what, what was that like? Yeah, there were a, a few days that I was, I was pretty nervous. I think uh, maybe towards the beginning more so, but uh, maybe it, it wasn't even the first time. Maybe it was like the second or third time I was more so nervous, but uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, the hardest part about the whole process was waking up and, and getting there on time. <laughs> you know, it wasn't talking to people. And I think part of that is, is I've traveled quite a bit and uh, made a conscious effort to approach people, uh, make cold approaches to people and just start talking to them. Um, and for sure, you get completely rejected, you know, uh, Dikembe Mutombo style, um, you know, but then you learn how how to talk to people from different cultures, you know, and, and how to make people feel 
feel comfortable with you and get over that fear of, uh, you know, people treating you a certain way, uh, which definitely happened over the course of the trial for sure. It did, uh, funny enough, the person who did it later, he like became friendly with me and like, uh, it was one of the, uh, anyways, we worked together later in the trial. Um, uh, so I, I thought that was interesting because initially he was kind of, kind of rude to me uh, a bit. But when he's, I think when he saw that I showed up every single day, uh, that, I think that got some respect from him. So that was that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, yeah, man, you've uh, done a great job. Like you were really keeping us informed as to what was going on on Twitter. Just seeing the videos come out and the summaries come out. Um, is there anywhere that people can like go see a detailed account of what happened? Do you have podcasts where you laid it out day by day or anything or? How can people really follow that if they want to? Yeah, I have my Epstein Files podcast, uh, which is where I uploaded all my broadcasts on the Glenn Maxwell trial. Uh, <laughs> if you prefer seeing the videos, uh, you go to rockfin.com slash adiads, A-D-D-Y, A-D-D-S. Um, and then my Twitter videos that I posted are still up. As you mentioned, uh, you know, I approached Isabel Maxwell and Kevin Maxwell several times asking them about, you know, questions about atomic bomb intelligence being sold via the promise software and Digem uh, right. to their father. Uh, I asked them about <laughs> a blackmail, you know, through ComTouch and Siren and, and software with backdoors to Israeli intelligence. Uh, Isabel Maxwell gave me a, a pizza. She gave me some pizza one night. It was like uh, the last week of the trial. That was kind of kind of cool because I didn't have to buy dinner that night. And some homeless guys got some pizza too. So that was that was a good thing. Uh, I want to, I want to be clear. I gave the homeless guys the pizza. Isabel Maxwell just threw pizza on the sidewalk and walked away. So <laughs> I want to be, I want to be clear about that one. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Spreaker is where I upload my podcast too, but it should be, you know, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, I'm, I'm on YouTube, but I, I tend to not send people that way anymore just cause it, it tends to be a, an attentional black hole because inevitably, inevitably my, my channel gets terminated. So, um, in that sense, I don't send people there. I just made a getter. I saw you're on getter too, Reed. I just followed you this week. I just, I've been trying to get kicked off, but you can't, they just delete your posts instead. I have done everything I can to get banned, but I've had, <laughs> I've probably had like, honestly over like 20 posts taken down by now. <laughs> and the funny thing is they don't tell you when they take your post down it's very ccp like they just disappear your post <laughs> instead of like letting you know that they've taken them down so they'll just be scrolling through and you're like wait fuck where's where's that post i made about you know uh ben shapiro or about uh you know whoever you know you, you just go after different golden calves and yeah twitter and they'll, they'll go after you but so were, were you just testing it to see the like the limit uh, of what you could get away with or yeah, yeah. i mean I, I was being i was going pretty hard in the paint um but what they would do the 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 clearest thing i've come away with is if you say like faggot or retard or whatever if, yeah if that's all you say like if i said addy ads is a retard like it wouldn't take that down so they okay, don't take okay. things down for just using slurs. But if I say like Steve Bannon is a retard, then it gets taken down. So like, okay, it seems okay. like they use the slurs as an excuse if you're saying something politically charged. But if you're just saying slurs, 
they don't take it down. So I don't know. Like it, it, it was interesting. It was fun experimenting. <laughs> I, I got a lot of followers from just trying to get banned. It was pretty fun. <laughs> Maybe I should do that. Cause I have like 12 followers over there. I, I should just like, you know, just like use it as a diary to a certain, you know, like a geopolitical diary where it's like, this is what I want to say that I tend to not say on other places and just see, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, thanks for the super chat P1 dizzy. Uh, Hey guys, can you please share your cash app links? Thank you both for your continued work. Stay frosty, free Palestine. We are Ryan Dawson. Um, I don't have a cash app. I do have a Patreon though. You can find me at uh, Patreon Reed Coverdale. But uh, do you have a place where people can support you? Or oh yeah, yeah, I do have cash app. Uh, I have Venmo. I have I have Patreon. I'm just scared to send people there because what happened to Ryan? Hashtag we are Ryan yeah, Austin. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have subscribe star. I have this new one I got, uh, which I'll refer you read if you don't have it. It's called Buy Me a Coffee. I really like because uh, you don't have to be American because, you know, for like Venmo and Cash App, I think you need a, a U.S. bank account. But Buy Me a Coffee, you can send like pounds and other currencies. So that's pretty cool. Um and then I have a PayPal. I try not to send people there. It's kind of like the YouTube of my donations is PayPal because they shave off a bit, I think, uh, up the top. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's I try not to send people there. But then another thing, too, which are, are you on Rockfin, Reed? I'm not on Rockfin. I got to diversify. I'm on Odyssey. But OK, I'll send you a referral. I'll try to get you on Rockfin if you want it, if you want it. Because uh, yeah, no, use... I, I need to <laughs> I need okay. to expand. So, OK, they send tips there. And you can actually tip or, or super chat even after the live stream has ended. Um, so that's kind of convenient uh, because then you don't, you're not just confined to the time that you're streaming itself. So that's another place. Um, do you know how to, because I saw on Twitter that don't they have tipping on Twitter now? I actually don't have that, but I can't even live stream on Twitter. They don't, they don't let me do that. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to try it because I'm not even supposed to be on Twitter. Because I already got banned once. Oh, <laughs> so that's right. I'm not I saw fuck that. around with any of that stuff on Twitter, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you do I still correspond with George? Uh, I do actually. I'm I'm trying to meet up with him uh, in in Florida. I don't know if our schedules are going to align though, uh, just with the way things transpired this week. I actually have to go to Atlanta, uh, so I'm giving my schedule away a bit here, people. I'm not going to say when exactly I'm leaving, but it's going to be soon. Uh, and I'm going to be down in Georgia and then Florida after that. Uh, so hopefully our paths cross, but yeah, yeah. Definitely still in touch with GW. He's the, he's the man. Yeah. And thank you, Jess, for that super chat. All right, man. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I'll have to get you back on again. We'll have to do the four horsemen sometime. You're, you're certainly uh, cut out for that, but, uh, are there any oh, other wow. places people can follow you or anything else you want to bring up you're doing in the near future or anything like that? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, I will. Oh, first off, I, I, Ryan invited me to that that meetup in March, so I might see you oh, there. Right? So you'll, we'll see each other in person. Yeah, I'll be there. Okay. Okay. Me and uh, me and Eric will both. Maybe maybe you'll have to be our March Four Horsemen. We just do it live in person in DC. Yeah. 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 Let's do it. That that would be fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm I'm actually in North Carolina right now, uh, so uh, I'm definitely have gotten to know it a lot better over the last. Uh, six to eight months or so cool states the carolinas I, I, really cool you know i'm from wisconsin myself where are you from reed from new hampshire living new in hampshire. utah now but yeah uh, born and raised in new hampshire so. 
Okay. Okay. Sweet. I'm sure we'll get in that into that deep on, on my show because I want to get you on my show at some point. Uh, yeah. But I, I also have a book uh, just to uh, you know to, uh, do a couple more plugs here before we wrap up. Uh, it's called Public Intelligence. Uh, the new edition is coming out soon. Uh, I uh, formatted it in a way that it talks about the historical background of intelligence agencies uh, and their influence on media and how new media is uh, evolving uh, thanks to people like Reed uh, and, and GW, uh, George Webb, as, as, and, and other people. You know, uh, so many like Ryan Dawson is a pioneer. Ryan da There's a chapter on Ryan Dawson in the book. Uh, so. You know, and I use actually, I think for that chapter, I use photography by Peter Duke. So, uh, you know, just expounding on this new media and uh, I kind of see it as a uh, a crowdsourced uh, intelligence agency for, for people, you know, uh, which also includes whistleblowers like Sabelle Edmonds or uh, and any whistleblower, you know, John Kiriak, who, uh I haven't written about him, but that's just an example. So uh, I've had work featured in the gateway pundit and unlimited hangout for my election coverage and Epstein, uh, coverage consequently, uh, eight channels terminated by YouTube. And yeah, I've been following Reed's podcast for a while now. You got awesome guests, man. I got, I got, I'm jealous, man. You get the best guests. So shout out to, and he also introduced me to, um, to, uh, to Dave Smith, who, uh, Dave Smith, right? Yep, Dave yeah. Smith. Yeah, so I'm probably going to vote for him next, next, next year, next election. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everybody, the Four Horsemen is on Sunday, I think at 8:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and James Corbett is our fourth horseman. So that's going to be fucking insane. So make sure you tune in for that. And uh, yeah, Addy, we'll do this again. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot, Reed.